We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Joe Mixon has a monster. Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler are headed to the IR. Kenyon Drake continues to disappoint. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by DoorDash and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. We're recording this mid uh, Patriots Chiefs game. Um, I am not caught all the way up. I was uh, putting my daughter to bed and then catching up on the DVR, Matt, and it's actually a game where I am currently. There's also the Falcons-Packers game going on tonight. So a couple of big names that we're not going to get to talk about. However, the injuries continue to pile up. Was, was there something you wanted me to say right there? You are accurate. The injuries have piled up. Uh, yes. Uh, no, I just thought we needed that long pause to just kind of take a moment to just reflect on the carnage that has happened. If you take like a draft grid of average ADP and you just start Xing off names of players that have gone down, it's just a bloodbath. It's it's really bad. I was looking at my um, my Scott Fishbowl team, and let me see if I can get to it really quick. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at it uh, a couple of days ago, and I had you know something that's you know very much like a zero RB type of uh, type of team, and it's just been destroyed. So um, Julio Jones, right, missed his time. Uh, Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas and Julio Jones were my first two picks uh, just to give a, a sense of how that worked out. Uh, Chris Godwin, I took after that. Uh, that hasn't gone well. Uh, Will Fuller and Deshaun Jackson. Uh, you can never have too many uh, speedsters on your team like that. So my wide receiver unit has just been totally decimated and it looked like a strength of the team entering the season. Uh, and that's just the wide receivers, yeah, uh, no, the well, running backs. Yep. Yeah. Well, also, you have A.J. Brown to add to that list, right? I mean, there's the Cortland Sutton out for the season. So then we oh, get by to the, the way, run- yep. Mike Williams. Mike Williams is also on that team. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's been a rough year at receiver. And then you turn towards running back. We already have the number one and number two picks go out, um, among others. Now we have Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler being added to the list. Uh, Nick Chubb, an MCL sprain. Last I heard, he could be out six weeks. Um, Darnus Johnston, though, 13 attempts and 95 yards filling in for Chubb. Obviously, you still have Hunt there. Do you think that Johnson is a good target on the waiver wire? Uh, I mean, I guess because you have to sp- you have to spend the money somehow. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think Kareem Hunt is going to to be the guy who has like a clear stronghold on uh, on the work in the backfield. And I mean, I don't want to say the only reason Dernis Johnson um, had. I should say his name uh, differently. D. Ernest uh, Johnson had um, any usage last week was because Hunt entered the game uh, at less than 100% capacity. So I think they were just kind of doing it to keep Hunt from like tearing his leg up. But uh, I think in a normal um, a normal game, we're going to see Hunt with I don't know like 85% of the workload. Like I think he's going to be basically. Yeah what Dalvin Cook was last year to Kevin Stefanski. Like, I I think he's going to crush. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that was a really weird game, right? Like, yeah. Dallas was not competitive for long stretches of that game, um, which we don't have to delve into too much right now, but that also affected the game flow and the way that they may have deployed their running backs. Uh, all right, so Eckler, hamstring injury, headed to the IR. Looks like it could be a similar timeline to Chubb. So obviously you have Joshua Kelly there who we've talked about. Justin Jackson figures to be the next guy in line over the weekend. Six rushing attempts, two targets. Does he become an attractive option or do you think that uh, we're looking at a backfield that's going to be more controlled by Kelly to the point where Jackson doesn't really merit that waiver wire status? I don't know. I I mean, I think he should be added. Um, He has, I think, a real chance of taking over for Joshua Kelly who like has fumbled twice. And I don't think fumbles really matter in terms of like their predictiveness or in terms of like a a running backs value, but coaches seem to think that it matters. Uh, And so like, there's an opportunity that I think Jackson has to seize, not like the entire, the entire job, but uh, you know, like to become the guy who is like the 60 in a 60, 40 split. Got it. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, You know, I'm not sure that he's going to overtake Kelly, but I I don't think that um, you're going to see one of them really monopolize that offense over the other. You know, Kelly hasn't done a lot in the last couple of games to really shoot himself that far away from anybody else on the team. I mean, he did go for... 49 yards uh, on just eight carries in week three, but then followed up with, you know, nine attempts over the weekend against Tampa Bay, picking up just seven rushing yards. Um, Let's move along, though. The next player um, that we should talk about might not actually be hurt, but we have a team now with an interesting situation, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Mike Evans played through an ankle injury. They play Thursday. Remains to be seen if it's possible that he could be out. But also, Jordan Howard, or it's not Jordan Howard, excuse me, OJ Howard, looks like he ruptured his Achilles. He could be out for the season. I think that has to leave Watson and Miller in play for people. Cameron Brate, who only got one target but scored a touchdown over the weekend, might come into the fold. If we continue to see Godwin and Evans dealing with injury, what do we do now in terms of this Tampa Bay passing game? Who are you most interested in? I mean, I guess Scotty Miller, uh, a, a little bit. And, uh, I mean, Watson has, uh, intrigue in that, you know, he's, he's big, he's athletic. He was super productive in college. Um, and he would be in the slot, you know, playing, you know, sort of like quote unquote, like the Chris Godwin or Larry Fitzgerald role. So like that would be interesting. Um, but Miller, I think is, is probably just like more of an actual wide receiver. Um, he can play inside if they want him to. He can play outside. Um, I think he's probably a better route runner, and he's just sort of like the John Brown function, and uh, he's probably the guy I would lean to a little bit more. Yeah, I think I would too, and it seems like so far the usage has kind of 
leaned in that direction as well. He's averaged 5.2 targets per game. Justin Watson at 3.7. Of course, that could change. Uh, I feel like mentioning the fact that Keyshawn Vaughn scores his first uh, receiving touchdown to win the game for the Bucks. I'm still not convinced, though, that we're going to see much more Vaughn. Uh, any, any chance, though, that Vaughn now all of a sudden might get back to relevancy this season? Uh, I mean, maybe. How many touches did he have? Like two? Yeah, he did not have many touches at all. Hold on. I'll get you the <laughs> yeah. I'll get you the number right now. Uh his week four touches, uh Keyshawn Vaughn, three targets. Um, as far as rushing attempts go, he recorded uh just one ru- or three three rushing attempts. Uh, also, mean, mind it, you, Fournette was out as well. Yeah. I mean he didn't uh he didn't do a whole lot. Um he had six yards on <laughs> six opportunities, which uh, is really bad and not what uh, anyone would have wanted to see when he was coming out of college. So I don't, I mean, I'm imagining he's going to get some opportunity if uh, Fournette and McCoy are out and uh, it looks like that might be the case. So, you know, I think he would be not someone who like comes in and gets a lot of touches, but plays a decent number of snaps, you know, like basically what McCoy was doing where he was playing like many more snaps than people would kind of anticipate. And like, that's what Vaughn did. Like Vaughn played 25% of the snaps, which like feels like a pretty high number for a guy who had only six opportunities. Um, But I think that's what he would do just amplified, but I don't think he would really see significant usage. Right. I mean, unless Vaughn, really explodes and starts showing something that uh, necessitates him getting more involved. There's still a lot of talent on this team, um, especially once we see Evans and Godwin at full strength, that it just doesn't feel like, you know, there's that much room for him to get super involved. Cameron Brait also, you know, despite uh, Howard being out for the season, I don't think that Brait all of a sudden becomes one of these tight ends that you're going to be rolling out there each week. Yeah, uh, very little interest. Yep. All right. Let's talk about Mike Davis. Over the last three games, went for 15 PPR, 23, then 22 fantasy points, eight receptions in the last three games, 130 yards, scored touchdown now in his last two games. As long as Christian McCaffrey is out, is Mike Davis an RB1, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's getting the Christian McCaffrey usage, not like all of it, but like pretty darn close to it. Um, and he's looked pretty good, uh, just in terms of his, his efficiency, like he's breaking tackles and I mean, like better, I think than anyone imagined he was. So, uh, yeah, as long as he's getting that usage, he's an RB one. So I, I have seen this question floated around when McCaffrey returns to action, does Davis remain involved? Mm, yeah, I think a little bit. Um, I think he's probably earned it. And I think they probably do want to ease McCaffrey back in so he doesn't get re-injured. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, an awesome development for Mike Davis, a horrible development for anyone um, who was invested in Christian McCaffrey. Like, he's not going to be exactly Christian McCaffrey when he comes back. Yeah, and outside now of that fantasy context, in the context of considering Christian McCaffrey as just an NFL running back, has having seen what Mike Davis done over the last three games changed your perception of him at all? No, not really. I yeah. mean, I still think Christian McCaffrey is very good uh, and can do things that almost no other running back can do. Um, but I think we are seeing the extent to which uh, like running backs don't matter. Yeah. I mean, I kind of agree. I think it also might speak to the fact that sometimes we see players that, uh, didn't get to demonstrate what they could do in a situation that works for them. And I think this is a situation that works really well for Mike Davis. Um, So it might not be as much of an indictment on Christian McCaffrey as it just is us finally getting to see Davis in a situation that works for him. And I say, finally, not like I've just been sitting here for years, you know, chomping at the bit to it's actually champing at the bit, by the way, uh, to see Mike Davis get in. Uh, Joe Mixon, 151 rushing yards, two touchdowns, five receptions, 30 yards, and a score. Feels kind of reminiscent of last year where he started slow, then started putting things together. What I want to know from you, Matt, is with as low as people were on Mixon last week and then this big performance, do you think that um, 
it averages out to something where you kind of feel like McCaff- or not McCaffrey Mixon's now going to start to approximate that you know maybe uh, eight nine ten ADP that we ha- that we saw heading into the season. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, he was he was awesome last week uh, in a good matchup. His next two games are on the road against Baltimore and on the road against Indianapolis. Uh, I think both of those teams probably have like top five, if not top three defenses. Um, and so I just, I don't see it being a good situation for him um, yeah. because he's not really still like the receiving back on the team. Like he got more receptions last week than he normally has, but I still think Giovanni Bernard is the guy that they want to use more as the receiver. And uh, the Bengals are massive underdogs in week five and will almost certainly be significant underdogs in week six, uh, again, on the road in both places. So, like, it's not going to be, I don't think, like a 25-carry game for Joe Mixon. For Joe, Joe Mixon. Sorry, for Joe <laughs> Mixon. And so I just think it's going to be a situation that is highly negative. Yeah. I mean, I think personally that um, Joe Mixon – as far as fantasy running backs go, still has the potential to flirt with a RB1, you know, finish on a weekly basis and probably is somewhere between like the 7th to 13th best fantasy running back out there, despite the struggles early on. We're just, I think that as the season moves along, we're going to start to see performances that are, you know, more in the middle of the last couple of weeks. I would not give up on him in any respect, but I'm curious to kind of gauge where you are on him. Um, if you were given the choice right now that you could have Jonathan Taylor or Joe Mixon added to your team, who do you take? Wow. Um, and we're going to talk more about Jonathan Taylor later. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I would say Jonathan Taylor, um, because I think his offense is going to be better and he's going to have better game scripts. Okay. Like that's, that's the big thing. All right, Kenyon Drake, a player that we know you've had an affinity for in the past, Matt. Right now, he ranks 38th in PPR per game and has really trended downward since week one, under four points on the weekend, I believe. If you were doing rest of season ranks, does Kenyon Drake land in your top 16? Uh, Top 16 running backs or top 16 top players? 16, top 16 running backs. I thought that went without saying now. Um. Yeah, yeah, but it's probably like it's right close. on the uh, right on the borderline. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I, I should say, like in in my defense, um, the past two years I was on him, uh, and that didn't work out well for our fantasy teams. But uh, this year he was on my uh, my sort of like stay away list, so that yeah. has that has gone well. Yep. Um, Chase Edmonds, do you think going forward um, that Chase Edmonds? gets enough work that he starts meriting consideration each week despite or no. not despite, you know, no. So you think that they're still going to, they're still going to roll with Drake. And I should mention too, that uh, it doesn't seem that he suffered a serious injury over the weekend. So his workload shouldn't even be um, impacted heading into next week. Yeah. It's not as if what's happening with Drake is that he's losing a massive amount of opportunities to chase Edmonds. It's just that like, he's not, he's not getting targets and he's not getting touchdowns. It's actually rather Joe Mixon-esque, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, there is the opportunity that, like, if things just break right, we see a Kenyon Drake game where he has, like, 100 yards and three touchdowns. That could happen, but um, it's, it's just not looking good for him right now. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a lot more to get through, but we are going to stop now to hear uh, a quick word from our sponsors. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose whatever you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, 
and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Hello folks, Colin Kelly here from Rotoviz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a Rotoviz NFL pass right now on the rotoviz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRADIO at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can rate and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, Road of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. So I don't know if the Cowboys are awful or they're a good team that is just playing absolutely awful. But I don't think that we can bank on the team and Dak Prescott throwing for a million yards um, on a week-to-week basis, which leads me to the question, I think at this point, it looks to me like Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb are the top two options to own in fantasy in the passing game. But if you're somebody that has Michael Gallup, are you trusting him? Are you starting him on a weekly basis? Mm, no, I don't think it can be a weekly basis because he's uh, he's very volatile uh, in the way that he gets his production. At, at least heading into last week, uh, Gallup and Lamb had pretty similar whoppers, um, which is you know obviously metric created by Josh Hermsmeyer. Uh, you know, like it it weights uh, target share and air yard share. Um, and they had pretty similar numbers, even though Gallup, uh, doesn't get nearly as many targets and it's just because he's being targeted downfield. So, um, he has the ability to create a lot of yards on not many opportunities. Um, but it just means that week to week, he's going to be extremely volatile. And so you can just sort of see that in the production he's provided so far in week three, he dominated in the other weeks, uh, certainly disappointed. Um, and so I think he's worth, wa- uh, worth rostering given, uh, I think the raw production that he's going to have over the course of the season. And then of course, like given the fact that if Amari Cooper or CD lamb suffers an injury, then he could just explode. Um, but he's going to be very hard to trust on a weekly basis. Got it. Um, do you have any thoughts on the Cowboys that you would like to share before we move along? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what to say They're They hired the worst defensive coordinator they could have possibly hired. And it's not as if this is like a, a retroactive take, Like he was like, Mike Nolan was bad. Uh, that's why he wasn't a defensive coordinator for years. Um, he was like a linebacking coach, but like he was known to be bad. The last time he was a defensive coordinator or had been a head coach, like his defenses were hot garbage. Uh, and that's really what we are seeing here. Uh, that said, the Cowboys are going to crush the giants this weekend. <laughs> uh, at least I, I expect because they have, they have the offense for it. The giants defense sucks and no team. goes Jason Garrett's crusty old offense, the way that the Cowboys offense, uh, or the way the Cowboys defense knows it so uh, I think they're going to be able to uh, to shut down the Giants offense and put a whooping on their former head coach nice all right um so there's there's definitely uh you know an interesting narrative we can spin there too with that game uh let's move along though to um the uh the Saints uh Traquan Smith scored twice yesterday of course you had Jared Cook and Michael Thomas out Emmanuel Sanders had what I think was his best game of the season. Do you think that either, and I'm not sure that they have, has shown us enough to believe that they remain relevant when the Saints do have all of their weapons available in the passing game? Yeah, I mean, I think they will be relevant, but maybe not consistent. Yep. You know, so they need to be rostered. Smith is the one who intrigues me more, even though Sanders 
might be the guy who uh, provides like the more projectable production week to week. Um, it was interesting that this past week when Sanders had his best game of the season, uh, he played primarily in the slot, which was, it was the first game uh, with the saints that he had done that. And uh, I felt like it was a natural move for him to be in the slot. He's a little bit older, but he still has like that slot skill set um, that I think would work well. Uh, and Smith as the more explosive player, I think works better on the boundary. Uh, and so I'm thinking uh, whenever Michael Thomas comes back or, you know, what, even if he's out another week moving forward, we're going to see Smith on the outside more. Uh, and that I think is intriguing if they use him down the field a little bit more. Um, obviously he had a horrible second season, but he flashed in his rookie year. He had a couple of games of over hundred yards with a touchdown or two. Um, like we know the upside that he has. Uh, and so it's that upside that I'm, uh, interested in more than Sanders consistency. Yeah. Um, now I'm bringing this up purely Matt, just because I don't know if you saw it yet, but if you go to the NFL player statistical summary, also known, if you go to the tools, drop down menu at the site, NFL weekly stat explorer, you can see that their air yak, air yards plus yards after the catch. We have Emmanuel Sanders at 123 per game, Traquan Smith at 54. Uh, Smith also would be the one that I'm more interested in. And, you know, an interesting thing that I have noticed is the GLSP, he has been slowly moving up it in its expectations each week, despite not getting a crazy workload. And generally, when I see players like that starting to move up, I, I take note because it, it does seem to pick up on some type of signal there. Um, so I, I'm also more interested in him than Sanders. But, um, you know, there, there's going to be some risk if you're trotting him out there each week. Um, yes. This is more just a note than a question. But, dude, Terry McLaurin is really good. I think that has just become a fact at this point. He continues to just put up all kinds of yards Rack in the receptions. I know some of this might come because of the offense that he's playing in, but I think he's one of those guys who just shows whatever you ask him to do, he does it. Um, that is my only takeaway that I have for Washington. Although, actually, I guess to be fair, uh, Antonio Gibson's starting to you know get more and more involved yeah. and is actually doing pretty well himself. Yeah. So Gibson is coming on, and I mean, I think McLaurin is amazing. Uh, I, I think it's a, a horrible thing that he's in this offense. Uh, now, granted, he's you know getting like more targets than he might be getting in another offense, but I think the quality of these targets is extremely poor. Uh, and what's amazing uh, isn't just that he's I think it was like number six in the league right now uh, with 387 yards receiving, um, certainly top ten. Um, like that on its own is great given the, the context, especially uh, that he played in week four uh, injured entering the week. But what's amazing is that he's done this against the hardest schedule of opposing number one cornerbacks. Some of these guys aren't as good as they used to be, but uh, in week one, going against Darius Slay, week two, going against Patrick Peterson, week three, going against Denzel Ward, and then week four, going against the Ravens, where uh, he wasn't always matched up against Marcus Peters, but uh, I mean that's their number one cornerback. Like he's he's run the gauntlet, and then now this week in week five, he's going against Jalen Ramsey, which like Ramsey is playing as well as maybe as well as he's ever played, and I would argue maybe as well as any other cornerback in the league right now. That is going to be a fantastic matchup, but I, I mean I don't think it's like guaranteed that Ramsey shuts McLaurin down. Uh, he will probably slow him down, but I mean, McLaurin has just been fantastic to open the season. Yeah, I know. He's one of those players that you just think like if you, if he swapped places with, I don't know, like Calvin Ridley or like a Cooper cop, somebody in an offense like that, what he'd be able to do. And that's not, you know, uh, you just, I just don't think you can say enough about what he's done, especially if you look at, um, you know, the type of comps that you would get if you looked at just the first whatever it is yeah. at this point, you know, um, like, like 20 I games. feel like he's having a, um, a kind of like second season Josh Gordon-esque type of breakout where he was he was very good last year, but because he missed two games uh, and because of just the, I don't know, just the horridness of that whole situation last year in Washington, like he didn't get the acknowledgement that he should have. 
and then like now he's just totally breaking out. Like it's not as if he's going to continue the pace for like 1600 yards, but I mean, I don't know. Like he's, he's so good and I need to update my dynasty rankings. Like I just, I, I don't know how high he's going to be, but like he better be high, you know, like I, I think you can't not have him in the top 10 at this point. No, you can't, especially because given the names of those cornerbacks that you listed, if I'm like looking at McLaurin each week going forward, I don't think there's really anybody. I'm like, eh, you know, like I see him going under 70 yards. I might slate him in for about like 100 yards a game, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's attainable. Yeah. So let's talk about a receiver that uh, is not performing as well. And I think at this point we have to rule is not the player he once was. And that's T.Y. Hilton. Um, I think at this point, Zach Pascal has more expected points, three less targets than Hilton. But I want to talk to you about this team's receiving game. You know, Philip Rivers has not been great, not racking up the yardage. Um, are you interested in anybody that he might be throwing to? of that receiving core, and then if not the receivers, you know, you know, uh, Jack Doyle, Moali Cox, Naheem Hines, anybody? Not, not really. I mean, Hilton has dropped a lot of passes this year. And like one of them was, I think like a 44 yard touchdown, which is just like incredibly painful. And his season would feel very different if he had just caught that one ball. Um, you know, and then if you add on top of that, like the other drops, I mean, it would end up, looking like a decent season, but um, you would still be looking at a guy who has only 22 targets. He's just not getting the usage that he needs uh, in order to be someone who can be relied upon. So it's, it's painful um, because Hilton has been so good for so long and it was easy to, uh, to dismiss what happened in 2019 because he was dealing with the leg injury. And then he was just also dealing with the unexpected loss of his starting quarterback. You know, you kind of figured this would be the opportunity for him to get right. But uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Me to your question. No, I'm not interested in anybody (laughs) like any receiver in this offense. Yeah, no, it's bad. So Hilton also no touchdowns receiving highest reception total is four. And that was on nine targets in week one, and he has not gone higher than 53 receiving yards. Final question on T.Y. Hilton. Are we ready to put him in his uh, dynasty career in the fantasy coffin, if you will? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Um, I mean, if you have him, and I should say, like, unfortunately, I have him in my, uh, like, longtime, uh, like, friends dynasty league. Uh, I mean, you can't trade him. No one, no one wants him. So now you just have to hope that he rebounds. But uh, even when he rebounds, even then, no one's going to want him. So, so you just have to hope that he's like one of these expiring assets that has like a longer life than you anticipate. But uh, that's that's all that he is at this point. Yep. All right. So um, we are now going to move on to something that we have not done before. Pretty simple here. Uh, on a scale of negative ten. To 10 I want you to tell me how impressed you've been with these players so zero would be you're getting kind of what you'd have expected 10 would be they've wildly exceeded your expectations and negative 10 naturally would be this player has come up so short to what you would have hoped for what you might have expected heading into the season we're going to start with another Indianapolis Colt that's Jonathan Taylor now right now Jonathan Taylor in um, PPR per game, ranks 23 among running backs. He's 16 in overall PPR. He's had pretty good opportunity. He's at 19 expected points per game. Um, week two against Minnesota scored his highest total of the season at 19. In terms of actual rushing production, he has scored two rushing touchdowns. He's had an 100-yard game. I am going to be honest, though, Matt. Overall, though it's a good start, I actually am a little disappointed on this negative 10 to 10 scale, where do you land on Jonathan Taylor? Okay, so I just like gut reaction was thinking like negative two. Yep. Um, although that might not be fair. Uh, like he's pacing for a thousand yards rushing. He has 10 receptions on 10 targets. Uh, and so like 90 yards there. Like he's, he's pacing for you know, like collectively like, 1300 ish yards 
something like that. Like that's pretty decent. Not to say that pace is going to be maintained, but like that's that's really good for a guy who's underwhelmed. Um, but I think what has been so disappointing is that he's not getting the chunk yardage. Like he's not tearing it up yep. as a runner, and that was supposed to be where he was really going to stand out. Like people talked about him like rookie year Adrian Peterson type of talent or even though he wasn't much as a receiver he would be able to come in and with this offensive line just be able to dominate and then given that he's had more opportunity than anyone expected he would because of the almost immediate loss in week one of Marlon Mack would expect him to have like 400 yards rushing or something like that. Like if, if, if you told someone at the very beginning of the season, he's going to be the lead back all 16 games. How many rushing yards does he have? Like people would have been betting on him to lead the league in rushing. And it's not anywhere close to that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm at, it's hard for me to get my total number because I think the receiving has been really impressive. And I kind of did think that he'd be a better receiver than people were giving him credit for. But it's it, for me, the biggest problem has been exactly what you said. It just doesn't feel like that home run ability that I thought would be there. I don't see any real signs of it. Um, you know, his, and here's, here's one thing. Yep. Sorry to interrupt, but yep. like, uh, I'm asking this kind of facetiously, but like, has he been good as a receiver? Like, I know that his, first game was awesome like 67 yards on six receptions six targets but since then he's had like two targets one target one target nine yards three yards 11 yards like that's not anything special so like it it just looks like this was a guy who somehow fell into way more targets than anyone would have expected one week of the season and then the other three weeks he's shown us who he really is yeah you know actually that's a that's a pretty good point there too um, and then what I was also going to say, only one run of more than 15 yards. I know. I know. <laughs> so That's like, what's crazy about this. I know. And you see other backs on other teams with offensive lines that just aren't that good, able to get a hole here and there and make something happen. And that just does not seem to be happening. Then I'm watching these games and I see Naheem Hines and I see Wilkins getting carries and you know, I got to be honest, I'm not like, oh my God, Jonathan Taylor would have done so much more with that. So, um, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm worried that the level of talent that I thought was going to be there isn't there. And this isn't to say that, you know, he's been a disaster. It's just that I really believe this could be the type of guy that would take the league by absolute storm. And that just doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I absolutely agree. Uh, that said, like, you still have to value him in dynasty as if he's like a top three player, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, kids like he's, he's still young. He's still getting all the workload. He's looked better as a receiver. It's, it's a weird situation where uh, the numbers overall look good, uh, but he's still disappointed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we got to give it time um, overall for a lot of other rookies. This would be, you know, like a really great start. So I don't want to, you know, be too uh, critical here. Uh, but if let's Cam move Akers, If Cam Akers had this start, I would be thrilled. Oh, I know you would. <laughs> let's be honest. If Cam Akers was just playing right now, you would be thrilled. Um, all right. Justin Herbert. How impressed are you? Negative 10 to 10. Uh, like nine and a half. Yeah. I mean, he's, he has looked good. Uh, and I, it's not like a whole bunch of like cheapies like where they're sort of just uh, concocting an offense for him and uh, he's like operating within it. Like he's, he's doing like big boy quarterback things, you know, like standing in the pocket about to get hit and like unleashing the ball 50 yards down the field uh, and throwing a touchdown. Uh, And what he did in week two, like just cold off the bench as the starter and having 300 yards passing uh, and then doing it again, the next week, uh, another 300 yards. And then against the Buccaneers in week four, uh, one of the better defenses in the league, like, you know, I'd say comfortably top eight, uh, I think of underappreciated pass defense to have 290 yards, three touchdowns against them. Um, and what has impressed me is that, um, 
he wasn't really much of a runner in college. He was pretty much just like a statue-esque pocket passer. Um, but at the combine, you know, he did flash pretty significant athletic ability. Um, and we have seen him. It's not as if he's like turned into like Josh Allen or anything, but we have seen him be functional enough as a runner uh, to where he gives just a little bit of a floor there. Uh, and it's not as if he's been um, this guy who just gets sacked like all the time. Uh, he's playing behind an offensive line that, uh, you know, based on the Philip Rivers years uh, is like certified bad, uh, but he's only taken two sacks per game. Like he has the athletic ability and I guess like the, the vision or, you know, whatever it is like the quarterbacking sense to be able to avoid a lot of pressure, uh, whether that's he, him like maneuvering the pocket or just getting rid of the ball quickly. But I mean, I've been, very impressed. And uh, again, it's not like dinking and dunking. He has 8.4 adjusted yards per attempt, which puts him, uh, I believe, in the top 12 in the league right away. Uh, doing this without Mike Williams, uh, doing it for a portion of the time uh, without Austin Eckler uh, in, in week four. Like, I'm I'm really impressed. Like, I thought he was the, the worst of the three big quarterbacks uh entering this class and i mean he's uh he's looked just as good as any of them yeah i mean 72 percent completion rate 931 yards only in like three games 102.2 qbr and also just when you're watching these games this does not look a guy like a guy that just got thrust into this role and is just a rookie he's made some really hard throws the other thing that i find encouraging too is Yes, he did send a bunch of balls Keenan Allen's way um, in week three, but he still got in a lot of other wide receivers involved. He's got uh, Jalen Guyton with, you know, two touchdowns, 125 yards, Donald Parham involved, Tyron Johnson, you know, a lot of these guys. And he's managed to spread the ball around and use them and get this offense running pretty effectively. Um, and guys who are unknown. Yes, guys, exactly. I don't want to say like they're they're talentless, but like they enter the NFL as non-entities and he's doing something with them. That's really impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm probably at like a nine and a half, you know, 10 as well. Like, um, you know, in fact, I, w- I, I was so impressed by him that I started thinking, you know, maybe my entire process with quarterbacks has been off that I've just been entirely too critical and I start, need to start giving players more of a chance in my mind than just thinking that they're all going to suck. Um, no, so, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you're generally more optimistic than I am. Uh, all right, so you mentioned Josh Allen earlier. Let's talk about the Stefan Diggs-Josh Allen tandem. I mean, they have been pretty darn solid. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, pretty remarkable. Um, so Alan on his own, even when he's not throwing to Stefan Diggs has looked much better. Uh, and part of that is probably the impact of Diggs uh, and, and what he does to opposing defenses. But part of that is also just Josh Allen, uh, continuing to improve from year two to year three. Uh, but his deep ball connection with Diggs is one of the best in the league. Um, I mean, I think you have to say this is like a nine, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 10, maybe. I mean, I guess it's a 10, really. Like, this is, I think, the best case scenario of what Bills fans would have hoped they would get out of the Stefan Diggs trade. You know, like a team that is undefeated so far, uh, Stefan Diggs is lighting it up, leads the league right now with 403 yards receiving. Um, I mean, there's, there's nothing at all that hasn't gone as well as it could have with this connection. All right. Get this. If you look at his past location chart, if you look at Diggs's past location chart, uh, so the left, uh, beyond 15 yards, three for three, 61 yards beyond 15 in the middle, two for two, 66 yards to the right. Five out of six for 136 yards. So you have a quarterback here in Josh Allen, a player that there was so much concern about his ability to create completions. And you have him and his new receiver just absolutely, you know, smashing in lockstep 
on these throws deep. You know, the other crazy thing is he's at nine now in completion percentage. One of the things that he needs to take that step forward in number two in QBR, then to add to that, uh, you know, you get the rushing production from him too. So not only are they both working individually, you also have Allen with that other component that a lot of quarterbacks just don't have. They've absolutely smashed. We had seen Diggs be considered as a top option um, in fantasy circles before. We now see Allen really kind of solidifying himself. I know we don't talk very often about quarterbacks in Dynasty, but I have to imagine now Josh Allen's probably flirting somewhere with that like six to eight range in rankings, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think maybe a little maybe bit higher, higher yeah. now at this point because he's still young. Uh, and he's got that rushing floor, uh, and now he has the passing upside. I mean, I, yeah, I think he's probably, I mean, it, it depends on what you think of like Deshaun Watson, what you think of Kyler Murray. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think Allen is right there in that mix. Yeah. Well, already he's at 20 rushing touchdowns total across three seasons. Um, you know, and we're only four games into 2020. So actually, well, um, or after I put the the show sheet together. So I do want to quickly touch on this uh, before I forget. You have any thoughts on Bill O'Brien being fired? Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's like uh, I, I'm not going to be able to think of like the right metaphor for this. But uh, I mean, it's it's too little, too late. You know, like if you were going to fire him, would have been better to do it before he destroyed your team. Um. Like now it's like uh, someone setting fire to your house. And then as they're leaving, asking them to turn off the light before they leave. Like it's, it's it, it doesn't matter. Like uh, you just have to burn this entire franchise down uh, and start over again. They are one of the worst teams in the league, but they have the highest salary cap uh, and they don't have their first and second round picks next year. Oh God! Like, there's, I mean, there's, there's nothing that is good about this situation, except that they have uh, Deshaun Watson. But uh, I mean, man, like it, he doesn't even really look like himself uh, without DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he he looks fine, but this offense is not not allowing him to maximize his abilities. Yeah, not at all. And I mean, a lot of it to me kind of comes back to like, what is this team's identity on offense? I really have no idea. I mean, this really was like a masterclass in running a team into the ground or like at this point, like <laughs> yeah. if you want to tank your team, like hire Bill O'Brien to do like serious consulting for your team. Cause you know, like he's he so bad. It's almost, yeah. This team. It's yeah. awful. Yeah. He just show how clueless he is. Shortly before he was fired, he named himself the offensive play caller. <laughs> he just had no sense of what was happening in the building. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it is so bad. So on that note, um, on the impressed scale of negative 10 to 10, where's David Johnson fall for you? I mean, I don't, I mean, I had no expectations and uh, I should say like he looked, you know, decent in week one. So, you know, I'll say uh, negative seven, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's looked really bad and, and part of it is, you know, maybe just the offense, whatever, but uh, Johnson, I mean, how old would you just assume that he is? Like he feels as if he's probably 31, yep. although that's just the number that he wears. Uh, he's actually like just. 29 yeah even not only 29 he's 28 turns 29 at the end of the season but he feels as if he's like frank gore's age uh and his running uh i mean it's just okay in 2016 his all pro season he had 4.2 yards per attempt year after that he played only one game but 2.1 yards per attempt 2018 played in all 16 games uh 3.6 yards per attempt last year 3.7 this year, 3.9. It has literally been almost a half decade since he went over four yards per attempt. Like this guy is a Carlos Hyde level runner with plus receiving ability. Um, but 
I mean, that's what he is as a runner. He's Carlos Hyde. Oh, boy. Um, that might even be too generous. It's hard. Like, it is so hard to say with him because it did feel like at one point there was a lot of talent there. But then it's odd that originally what got me so interested in David Johnson was some of that college production and the fact that, you know, he looked like a guy that could have crushed it as a receiver as well. But of course he was playing against inferior competition. So you just have this odd profile to work with and place everything in context. Then you have the beginning of his career that did look really stellar at some point, but overall the body of work, there's not really that much there to support a compelling argument that he ever was really this outstanding of a player. So, well, no, 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 no. His 2016 season was awesome. Like it was, he was awesome. In so 2006. you think that the led, 2000 led the league, in, the league in scrimmage yards and scrimmage touchdowns and like a, a very uh, competent runner, competent enough as a runner. And then great as a receiver had 120 targets. Like his 2016 season was great. So, you know, what's crazy 20 touchdowns in 2016. I'm doing the math quickly here since he's at um, 11, 14, 18 still. Okay. So in the, Four seasons since, and of course we still have to get through some of 2020, is not matched to that touchdown total. Um, right. That is yeah. wild. All right. So I think we can move on from um, David Johnson. I will say for me, though, like um, I thought he was so far washed that I will give him like a two because he's actually like functioning as a football player, which is pretty good. Um, Robbie Anderson, where are you on him? Like an, an eight. Yep. Um. I think he always had this ability and uh, in college, he had a really good season at temple that went kind of under the radar. Uh, and then like, because of off the field concerns, he was suspended after that, uh, you know, just wasn't drafted, but he like with his production and with his athletic profile, like he looked like a legit wide receiver, uh, you know, entering the league. Uh, and then he got opportunities that I think people wouldn't have expected him to get early on in his career. And he capitalized on those. So there was always like the intrigue with him, but he just never really had the offensive system or the quarterback. And then of course, like now he's, you know, had to deal with uh, Adam Gase last year. And so it was just like this negative, like negative circumstances all the way around. Uh, and then being able to reunite with his college coach and Matt rule, uh, I mean, just like a, a total boon for him. Uh, and I think what we've seen is that he's not just a field stretcher, although he does have that skill set. Like he's actually being targeted in like more in that intermediate part of the field. Um, but because of his speed, I think he's better after the catch than uh, at least than I would have expected. So like I wasn't anticipating this at all. I thought that he would be a field stretcher. Um a talented field stretcher, but not someone who is like the number one option in this offense. And like, I don't know if we can say that like moving forward, he's clearly the number one option in this offense, but like he's right there with DJ Moore. Yeah. So actually only, um, seven targets, um, of more than 15 yards. And on this season, he's been targeted, um, 35 times. So it's been impressive what he's been able to do. And I actually, um, think that, uh, it's also a reflection of how much, uh, more impressed I've been than I was expecting to be by Teddy Bridgewater. Cause I think that Teddy Bridgewater has really done a great job, made some awesome plays, um, over the weekend, uh, which does bring, he us has, home. he has, by the way, I should yep. say like, this has come at the expense of any hopes that people had for Curtis Samuel yep. and, uh, Ian Thomas. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons, too, why it was hard to expect that much from Anderson because it did seem like there was other players there that, uh, you know, maybe could outplay him if he really was just a field stretcher, which, as you've said, it, you know, he's proven that he's he's more than that. Let's talk, though, about DJ Moore and where you would be on this uh, scale of negative 10 to 10 unimpressed. Uh, I mean, it's got to be in negative territory. Um, you know, like I'd say maybe negative three, negative two. Uh, it sucks that he hasn't scored a touchdown. I feel, I think people would look at what he's done very differently if he had just scored like at least one touchdown, uh, to this point, but he's still pacing for something that's pretty similar to what he did as a receiver last year. Last year, he had 1175 yards receiving on 135 targets. 
He's pacing for 128 targets, 1,152 yards. Uh, I mean, that's like, I mean, you don't get much more similar than that. The only difference is that he hasn't scored a touchdown. And I think the difference is that people also expected him to take a step forward, not just sort of like replicate what he did last year. So from that perspective, uh, it's negative. But I, I think, I mean, even though like I, I say like, my impression of him is sort of like a negative two to negative three. I'm actually very encouraged that he has had a season that feels as if it has gone so poorly. And yet he's still basically pacing to do what he did last year, because that shows that there is tremendous room for upside. If things change even just a little bit, he's going to explode. And and even if it stays kind of just the average of what it has been, that's still actually pretty decent. Yeah, you know, he's a hard one to opine on, I think, at this point. Because, again, we're only through the four games. I have been pretty disappointed. But I can see how things easily flip. Like you said, you know, some of it comes down to the fact that he hasn't gotten a touchdown. First week of the season went six points under expectation. Um, There has been a workload there. It is a little concerning, though, that we've only seen four and six targets over the last two weeks and with McCaffrey out, you know, I guess because they're relying on Davis to kind of fill that void in those targets. He hasn't been able to pick any up, but I don't know if it's time to have a full on panic for DJ Moore just yet. If we get through two more games and we're in the same position, I'm going to be honest, I might start to panic. Um, But uh, let's talk about Marquise Brown uh, for the Ravens. And I actually don't recall what your uh, expectations were for him heading into the season. Uh, I mean, I was super intrigued, but, um, you know, a little wary in that uh, I thought he would probably be a volatile producer. And that's, you know, what we've seen. But um, he's still super intriguing. And I think he has like something like a 35% uh, market share of air yards. You know, like he's been so close to having some massive performances this year. Uh, and they just haven't quite connected on some deep balls that would have been touchdowns. Uh, and even with that, he still has 242 yards. Um, like there's significant room for upside from here. And so I'll say like, it's it's been roughly what I would have expected, except again, with no touchdowns. I'd say like I'm around a zero on him, but this is, I think, about to catapult up to like a seven. Because I think potentially uh, this upcoming week, he's just going to smash against the Bengals. Um, part of this is like a little contingent, but uh, Mackenzie Alexander, who is the slot corner for the Bengals, he was <coughs> he was out last week. I think he's going to be out again this week, which means that the guy, uh, one of the guys that they normally start on the perimeter is going to scoot inside and play in the slot once again. And uh, LaShawn Sims, there's no way I'm, uh, I think that's his name. Anyway, yes, LaShawn Sims, uh, backup cornerback who just got toasted last week. Uh, He's going to be going up against Marquise Brown. And it's not like this is a a one-week thing. Like this guy was horrible last year uh, as a backup who had to start for the Titans uh, Marquise Brown could score like multiple touchdowns against this guy. Like this was the guy who gave up all of the yards to LaVisca Chenault, uh, gave up a touchdown to DJ shark. Like this is a smash spot. So Marquise Brown could go from a guy who's kind of disappointed to a guy who just had like a 200 yard day. So, uh, not to say that's definitely going to happen, but like he has this potential here and, uh, I will be very curious to see what happens in week five. Got it. So just a couple more notes on Brown. Seven in air yards, six in weighted opportunity rating. And also, if you look at the accrual of points that he's had so far, it kind of falls in line with what there would have been or what his season looked like last year. And I think unless you were expecting a massive step forward, it does kind of fall out, I think, at this point, like you might have expected. But I guess the one more question I have for you about Brown is, does he feel like the type of player that you do think there's much of a capacity for him to take a significant step beyond what we've seen already? Or does his game kind of predicate him staying in a similar kind of zone um, like the one that he's been in? 
I think there's a capability for it. I mean, it's I I think it's always harder with these small receivers where it looks like they have so much potential and they just need to get the ball a little bit more. Um, and then they just they can't stay healthy or whatever it is. But um I think there's potential with him. Like it wouldn't surprise if he had sort of like a series of 1200 yard seasons. Like, I think that's well within his range of outcome, which I mean, Um, I I think that would actually be fantastic if he was able to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he has the potential to get there. Um, A bigger part of it might just be the offense that he's in as opposed to uh, the skill set that he has. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I probably should have given us time to talk about, um, about the Ravens' backfield because it is pretty interesting. So maybe we'll do that next week. But I did want to get. I'll your... just I'll do a quick. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You were gonna ask. No. Go for it. Let's talk about that first. Okay. Gus Edwards, I think, is a must stash in dynasty leagues. You know, like he's incredibly efficient. Um, I don't know if it's going to be with the Ravens or it's going to be with another team, but um, this feels sort of like this isn't the best comparison, but like Chris Ivory who was just like on the Saints for a number of years as a backup and then finally got a shot with another team and ended up having some decent production. Uh, I think that's the situation we're kind of going to see with Gus Edwards because, again, like for the past two-ish years, he's been one of the most efficient runners in the league, and like I don't think that that's luck. Like uh, next-gen stats tracks um, like the north-south efficiency of runners and two years ago and last year, he was the most efficient north-south runner in the league. It's just like he's very good at seeing the hole and then just immediately going through it. Um, so, I, I mean, he's someone I want everywhere. If I remember correctly, too, he has a pretty solid uh, speed score, too, which, of course, you know, we always <laughs> tend to love. So, um, all right, the player that I did want to get your opinion on before we closed out was Josh Jacobs. Um. Six, seven. Okay. I mean, his his week one was incredible. Um, you know, came with great game script. He hasn't been as productive since then, but he's been certainly, I think, good enough. And we've seen him uh, get enough targets, you know, like a minimum of three targets each game. He's been pretty good at turning his targets into receptions. Um, he's still young. He's on a team that wants to get him the ball a lot. Like what what is not to like? know he's going to end up having around like 1600 yards for the season you know like that's pretty good yeah I guess the the other thing that I think has been kind of solidified is um there were some questions when we had Jacobs coming out of school because we just hadn't seen enough of him or, or some people felt like we hadn't truly seen enough to know just how good he was but I think um at this point None of that should really matter now. There has been enough of a you know a track record with production. And even though the last couple of games haven't been good for him, he's gone over 10 points every time. So when you have a player that's getting a good enough workload that even if you feel like they're disappointing and they're still getting, you know, 15, 16 carries and managing 10 points, that has to be pretty encouraging. Um, you know, and there's probably gonna be a couple more games too where he's back into that 20, 25 point type of zone. Um given that workload. So good start to the season for Josh Jacobs. A couple of quick notes here just on players who had uh, projections in the preliminary GLSP that we ran based on um, the games over the weekend. You have T. Higgins against Baltimore. Looks like a good option. Chris Conley versus Houston. Antonio Gibson versus the Rams is starting to really shoot up in the um, GLSP. And then you have Dalton Schultz, who was a high spot for the Cowboys, um, over the weekend, as Matt said earlier, they're playing the Giants, so it looks like he could be able to feast in week... Um, oh my god, isn't it nuts that we are already going to be at week five? No. I know. It's, it's uh, I mean, crazy. Praise the football gods that uh, more games haven't been canceled, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm very encouraged that we're still going to get a full season of football. There will be postponements and cancellations and stuff like that. You know, a lot of randomness, but uh, I think we're getting a full season. Yeah, me too. So, you know, um, just super excited and thankful for that. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF. 
and at Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks to DoorDash and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it. The wait is over. Finally, football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Every day, head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.